Welcome back, ladies and gents. It's been a long while since we last recorded, unfortunately, because of the coronavirus. There's not that much football going on. But, as always in the world of Iraqi football, there's always something interesting to discuss. I'm your host, Hassanen Bilal, and I'm delighted to have today the superstar of Iraqi football, Yasser Qasim. I'm so excited to have him here, but I'm equally as excited to have Hassan Osama joining us today. Hassan, welcome. It's great to be back. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a while since uh, we've last recorded, and uh, tonight we've got a big one uh, with Yasser Qasim, and it uh, should be great. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to pick his brains on all the things that's happened in his career. Obviously, he's had a very, very eventful time with the Iraq national team and his club career, etc. So, without further ado, Yasser, welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. No, it's absolute pleasure, man. I can't really explain to you how much it means to have you here. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan. You're one of my favorite ever footballers. And I've got so many big, big moments of just pure joy that I owe pretty much to you, man. So first Thank you. of all, first of all, how are you, man? How how have you been coping with the whole coronavirus and all that sort of thing? I'm good, man. You know, uh, I was playing obviously in Iraq, and the season ended early because of it. But I got back to London when the airports opened. I stayed over in Iraq a little bit. I got, I had to stay over because the airports were closed. But I got back to London, and it's you know, it's good. I've been okay with it. Um, and it's slowly picking up around here, you know, with the fitness industry and uh, the football and, you know, me and friends and stuff. So I'm, I'm okay with it. You're good to be uh, good to be back home, yeah? Yeah, man, it's good. Obviously, in your own sort of natural habit, habitat where I grew up, like London. So uh, it's good to be back. Obviously, things are a little bit restrictive with the virus, but it's good to be back, man. Excellent. Um, so, where do we start with your career, man? Let's let's start right at the beginning because there's so much has happened in uh, such a short period of time with you. Um, talk to me how you got into football. Well, obviously, I grew up in. I was born in Iraq in Baghdad, and I grew up uh, like any kid on the streets of Baghdad because uh, the weather's nice. The kids are always out playing around and about. So I kickball there and I used to be a goalkeeper there so <laughs> uh, for like we used to play you know big games on the street corn off um, the streets not let, let cars get in um, so I kind of fell in love with it then and then when I came to England it became a little bit different because I wouldn't play with as many people but I'd be by myself with the ball I'd go down as I started growing up into you know early teenage years I'd go down to the Westway which is a sports center with football Ashrota football pitches in West London yeah. and I'd play there uh, and from there obviously you know do a lot of training I'd, I'd play for the Westway club as a Sunday league side and then I'd move on to, to academy football from there so at what age did you realize like I'm pretty good here. When did it click that, okay, football's going to be the, the career move for me? Um, around early teenage years, so 11, 12. I wouldn't say I was, I would say I was good. I would say I was very determined to do well. So, because you do, you can't really, you know, when you're young, you, 
you hear about other players and you see them do things and you think, oh, he's good or that's that person's good. But as you grow older, when I look back, I say, well, how do I know if that guy's good? He could have done a really nice skill, but he did it in such a bad position and got away with it. And you go, oh, he's really good. But as you get older, you realize, you know, what I'm trying to say is you don't, you shouldn't really compare yourself to anybody other than how determined are you to do it, to play the game. And I was determined around, you know, I think signing my first contract at 11, playing for the under 11s or 12s at Tottenham, it really just gave me that push where I said, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to keep going with this. And there was a pathway. You go from 11 to 12, under 13s, under 14s, under 15s. So um, once I saw that or felt it, I said, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. But loving the actual game was, you know, since I was a kid. I was seven when we, I watched the 98 World Cup. And France won the 98 World Cup with Zidane. And obviously the great French side, uh, the great Brazilian side, the Croatian side that got to the semi-final, uh, the Italians, all of that. So I fell in love with, really, really fell in love with it when probably around that age, six or seven. How how big a role did your father or your uncles or your, if you have any brothers how how much of an influence did they have in terms of kind of getting you involved in the football world? Well, everything was down to my dad. My dad wanted us to do sports, but his first sport was tennis. So everybody he wanted everybody to to do tennis. So I've got two siblings, and they both did tennis, but. I decided to do football. I was I, I did a camp, a training camp in tennis, but I, I, I would have rather kick the tennis ball than actually, you know, hit it with the racket. So um, I went down the football route, but it was all down to to my dad to get us into, you know, sport because he always wanted us to be uh, physically uh, in tune with ourselves and you know our bodies and do well for for our health. What was it about football that you just enjoyed so much more than tennis? you have a ball and you're by yourself you don't really need somebody else with you and I, I watching tennis and especially my sister's a couple of years older than me I, I probably already knew as a kid you know if I was to take a tennis ball and go down the street I can't I can't do anything with it a tennis ball and a racket but a football I can I don't need a coach I don't need a tennis court all I need is a football yeah fair so I real, yeah so I realized early on hey I just want a football Fair, fair. Yeah. Um, so, what about like you said? You're 11. You first uh, joined Tottenham Hotspurs. Mm-hmm. How did that develop? Like, what was it like being at such a huge club and you're only 11? Um, yeah, it's a pretty big deal. Pretty big deal because before that, I was at Fulham for a couple of months and they didn't decide to sign me for some reason or other and so when I went to Tottenham I already got a taste of being at a club and you know when you're a kid you get the kit and you have training times and there's coaches and there's a nice training ground it's very nice so um, it gives you that sort of feeling of uh, hey I'm somewhere and I can be somebody Uh, that kind of feeling but at the end of the day it's really down to you. Any football club is just a pathway for you to become a, a footballer. So the Tottenham, you know, was a good pathway because as I got older, more people got involved in that club that 
were quite influential on me and uh, gave me the right sort of recipe to, to make it as a player. Okay, so I'm kind of skipping ahead here, right? But I'm going to ask it anyway, and maybe we'll come back to it later on. But you growing up in Tottenham, right? And then you've played with a lot of Iraqi players, and you've seen the pros and cons in their game. What did Tottenham teach you at that young age that a lot of Iraqi players don't actually benefit from? Well, i got to be honest, it wasn't just Tottenham. I moved to Brighton. And I had a coach there called Luke Williams that taught me quite a bit about football as well. And it's probably very, very important to mention him. And put, you put all that together and you get to Iraq and you go, OK, hold on. They, when you watch the players, you realise they haven't been coached the right way. Uh, they haven't been taught the right way. Um, breaking it down now, I could easily just say, look, First of all, it's personality. The Iraqi personality is, you know, uh, a little bit like make a mistake, don't show that you made a mistake. Because I think we were a little bit afraid of the consequences and that's because of the history of Iraq. You know, the parents and, you know, before we used to have a dictator. I mean, this is my thinking. Whether it's true or not, I still don't know. But my thinking is that's the way these guys feel and these players feel if you make a mistake you're kind of embarrassed don't show it and uh, so that that's not good first of all because if you do make a mistake you gotta just own up to it and go again it's not a problem it's training so that's number one um and we don't have that in england in england especially when i went to brighton if we made a mistake it was almost to the point where you have to laugh at the mistake and just get on with it like, ha ha, like, look what you've done. You're stupid sort of thing. Move on. Like, everybody laughs at each other. Like, what were you doing there? What were you thinking? Okay, sorry to interrupt, but would you yeah. say, okay, so you mentioned Iraq. You said it was like yeah. a part of it to do with the dictatorship, part of it to do with, um, yeah. like, pride. How much of it is actually, <clears throat> like, um, ego-driven, do you think? Yeah, yeah, pride. Actually, that's a good point. Yeah, it's kind of pride. The Iraqi mentality is a little bit like, hey, I need to show the world that I'm good, that I do well for myself, that I can do things on the football pitch. Yeah, and the I'm whole Vira aspect of Iraqi football. Is... Sorry. You know, like when the Iraq so you have to play with Ghira and like uh, like pride of representing Iraq. Yeah, but also pride that you haven't you know messed around, you haven't messed up, yeah. that you're you're doing good for yourself. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of ego and a little bit of pride, uh, but at the same time, it's also. Um, you're a little bit scared. You're a little bit scared of your elders, of what the coach might say or do. Um, so kind of that, that that makes it stops you from you know pushing yourself to fail, pushing yourself. You know, trying new things. Maybe making a pass with your left foot, but that's your weaker foot. Uh, maybe trying to bring the ball down in a more difficult way instead of, you know, taking the easy way out. In training, it's just training. So, you you know, you don't develop as quickly as other players. Uh, whereas, you know, other people or other countries, they don't care. They'll do something and if they don't do it right, they go again and they do it again. So, from my sort of training, that's, and then going into Iraq, that's what I saw. Um, I saw, you know, that sort of 
not willingness to fail and also that little bit of pride to do well and it kind of hurts them too much if they don't do well and I've seen that in my own sort of training and my own sort of games that I've had to overcome um, so that's one of the differences um, but also the other differences uh, because they're not backed so much by uh, by the country the players themselves whereas in the UK you know if you fail the government will help you the government will step in one day if things are not working out for you and you can go a different pathway instead of making as a footballer in those countries for example like Iraq hey it's either do it or that's it you're nobody and that could be overwhelming especially for 12 13 14 15 year old and their parents because their parents are looking at them and going if they don't make it what will they do and then that becomes just a cluster of pressure on someone and you know more more times than not a 15 16 year old will break with that sort of pressure they won't make it and become something you know like a footballer because it's too much you're not supposed to have that sort of pressure on you uh at 24, 25, let alone at 15, 16. So, but I saw that, you know, I saw that in the first team in Iraq and I, I'm obviously guessing that it's with the younger lot as well. It's definitely with the younger lot, with the conversations I've had with some Iraqi players. What about in terms of like coaching and like the quality of coaching, aspects that might not get taught or focused on as much with the Iraqi football, like... Uh, the tactical side of things. What differences did you see there? Um, to be honest, uh, it just depends on the person who's coaching. But I'll be, uh, but honestly, at a level where you're going international, you're gonna have to coach the right way. Like, not, what I'm trying to say is, you have to coach very results orientated with the players that you have. So if the coach does something, he's doing it to get a result every single game, even in the friendly, so that, you know, that he can shape the team. But that's, that pro the coaching problem also has a federation problem because the federation, you know, the way the players are picked and who they put into the, into the national team um, isn't chosen by the coach. It's chosen sometimes by people in the federation and it's like just you're basically telling the coach here you go and make something happen um, it's, uh, it, there's a lot of problems from up top to down bottom with Iraq so it's not just one specific thing you know if I'm looking at myself and, and going hey I'll coach Iraq one day I'd rather have all the power than half the power and if I don't have any power, then I'm not even going to be in there. And that's the problem with with, uh, with 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 football in Iraq is there's not one there's there isn't a system in place where you go okay they these lot pick a coach then the coach gets on with it and he picks the players. It's a bunch of different things involved. So you can't even really start talking about coaching until you start talking about what players are coming in. Um, who, uh, is it two players per position, the type of players that are coming in, uh, the foreign players, or is it the homegrown players, you know, what's going on, uh, and 
and how's the relationships between the foreign players and the homegrown players uh, and you know do the does the is the coach backed by a certain you know uh, background in Iraqi football in Iraqi society it's all of that that needs to be stripped away and fundamentally it just needs to be like hey we got a bunch of players who play football in Iraq and abroad let's get the best 25 for each training camp for each game for each tournament and let's do our best and if you work from that then nobody should get involved other than you know the right people from up top to down to down bottom I'm, I'm sure we're going to discuss this in a lot more depth later but before yeah. we go into too much uh, focus on Iraq I want to kind of continue looking at your kind of career path um, you're at Spurs the the kind of the class that you were with a lot of them have gone on to have like uh, unbelievable careers but you, you played alongside people like uh, Kevin Trippier right uh, Harry Kane etc Danny Rose Andrews Townsend all those guys how does it feel like uh, thinking right I grew up with all these amazing players now that that you're, you guys are all older are you in touch with any of them or yeah I'm in touch with quite a few of them uh, John Obika who's playing up in Scotland is a close close friend of mine uh, even players that didn't make it are close friends of mine uh, yeah I'm in touch but it's not like some of them is not regularly it's every now and again we meet up um, but it feels good man because you're coming from you know uh, I don't know school sort of background you go into full time with these guys and then you see these guys going on to their pathway and you go on to your pathway and you know if they're doing well in football or out of football I'm happy for whoever that you know came across my path uh, and I only hope for the best for them as uh, some great players and very very good people so from Tottenham you said you went to Brighton and Hove Albion how comes you decided to leave Spurs well, I just found I found it, you know, a little bit, a little bit uneasy the pathway to the first team football. I thought I didn't think it was a club that was very nurturing from reserve team to first team, from youth team to reserve team. Yeah, pretty good. But from reserves to make that final jump to the first team and go on, I didn't feel it was very nurturing. So I said, you know what, I want to leave. Uh, there was complications with that because obviously you have to pay compensation. And at the time, I didn't, I wasn't leaving to go to another club straight away. I was just wanting to go somewhere else and try somewhere else. I did try somewhere, but they asked for too much compensation at that club. Uh, and then eventually I landed a little bit a little bit later than I wanted to, but I landed in Brighton later on, and uh, I signed there. Were you at uh, Sheffield United, the club you were referring to earlier? Mm. Yeah. I went to Sheffield United, and at the time they were buying, I think, Carl Walker and Carl Norton in a deal. So, so they were buying them from Sheffield United, and Sheffield United obviously asked them, how much do you think you'd want for Yasser? And they, they gave them a ridiculous sum. <laughs> and the coach at the time was like, yeah, I mean, he quoted the number to me and he goes, it's just obscene. So I started like kind of laughing with him. And then he goes to me, yeah, but then it got serious because he's like, yes, I actually want you here. If they even said this, this number, 
even then we couldn't do it, but at least maybe we could negotiate with it. But what they really wanted was to go to court. That's how it works. You know, when you, the rules are if, you know, you leave and compensation has to be given to that club, if they don't agree with the club that you're signing for a certain fee, you go to court. It's like a court for arbitration. And I think that's what Tottenham wanted to do in the end is go to court. But no club was willing to go to court for me because they don't know the price. The court could say a million, two million. There isn't isn't a law that specifies that amount for each year you are at a football club. And I was there for seven years. So in the end, um, you know, as time went by, the people changed at Tottenham and I ended up at Brighton and obviously the manager there was the assistant manager at Tottenham for a while. So there was connection. Gus Poyer spoke with people in Tottenham and they ended up signing a piece of paper saying, you know, we don't want any money, but if he does get sold on, we'll get 50% of his salon fee. In hindsight, do you think that was a good decision to leave Spurs? Because you talk about like the, 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 the jump to the first team being quite difficult, <clears> but... At the same time, having said that, we, we looked at some of the players that did make that jump and uh, a lot of them have gone on to have incredible uh, careers. So how, how does it feel in like hindsight? Do you think it was the right move? or? No, I think in hindsight, I think it was the best move to go to Brighton. But I, it's a little bit of unluckiness that Brighton at that time were really, really pushing for Championship and Premier League. I'm telling you, if they weren't pushing as much as they were, I probably would have got my break in Brighton a lot earlier than usual and played a bunch more games in League One for Brighton. And when they went up to Championship, played a bunch of games in the Championship for Brighton. But I was a little bit unlucky at that time because they were pushing. Because at Tottenham, as many players had made it, and you know, you say as many players as have made it, there's a ton of other players that that it didn't work out for yeah. for the for the reasons I, I was talking about stagnation. They weren't given a pathway to the first team. Uh, they got loaned out, come back, sign new deals to just get loaned out again. So you know, if I made that move to Brighton maybe a season earlier or two and made it into the first team, and then Poirier took over. I think it would have been a little bit of a different story with Brian and I would have got a lot more game time than I did in the two, two and a half years I was there. You were loaned out to uh, Luton and Macclesfield as well. How did you find that? Um, just looking back at it, it's not my style of play. You know, I've gone down. Luton's quite a big club. Macclesfield's not as big. But it's not my style of play. I would have probably preferred to have got loaned out to a foreign club. Um, but I was young. And at the time, my agent was an English agent, so it wasn't like uh, he had the contacts to loan me out to a foreign club. But if I was, you know, directing my own sort of uh, loans back then, I would have probably uh, tried to get a loan out, you know, into more of the Portuguese, Spanish, Dutch leagues, Belgium. Because of their style of play, they'd appreciate a player like me a little bit more. A player that gets the ball moving for the team, organizes the team defensively, uh, works hard for the team, but you know doesn't really go around flying into tackles and you know just shouting at everybody, just being smart about his game. Those people, 
those type of players are appreciated a little bit more abroad than in England. And especially in the lower leagues, then kind of not really appreciated at all. Uh, so, yeah, I would have looked for a foreign, for foreign club to be loaned out to. You you say that, but Swindon, uh, they fell in love with you very, very quickly. How come you succeeded there, even though they're based in the UK? Because when I went there, the owner was very close friends with the people in Tottenham. His best friend is Tim Sherwood. Tim Sherwood was the academy director or uh, the person that looked after the academy at that time. Uh, with, I think, another guy called John McDermott, who looked after me from when I was young. And they brought a bunch of loan players from Tottenham. So they were like, hey, we want to play a certain way. Then the assistant manager became Luke Williams, who was my coach at Brighton, who taught me a lot about the game. So everything kind of fell in place. And they saw me and went, hold on a second. We can build everything around Yasser because that's all he does is he passes the ball he brings players into the game he controls the game and it flows through Yasser so they gave me that backing and hence why it worked at that club for me um, so yeah it was just a little bit things just came together but as you know I think uh, different people that wanted to bring me or buy me later on in my Swindon career it didn't pan out because again my type of play isn't accustomed to most teams in England just very few teams and as Swindon shows you kind of have to get lucky on how the club is built so uh, you, yeah your style was there ever to, like you said it's suitable for foreign teams was there any ever serious interest from teams abroad that uh, that wanted to sign you no no the market isn't doesn't work like that foreign teams don't sign players from championship let alone league one they like to you know bring bring players from abroad right um so let's t talk a little bit about swindon because you you played so many games there and you were doing so well at one point. There was a lot of interest from uh, Swansea, who were in the Premier League, and they were actually doing really well. Um, can you talk us through that period in your life? Like, what, what was it? What did it feel like being like at the maybe the peak of your career, or just flying in your career? Um, it was great. What can I say, bro? Yeah. It was amazing be playing in a team that was I was you know a part of kind of built around me it, or, it had its struggles but hey I was always the type of guy that was just you know just keep going every week in week in week in week out play your best football and try to win um, and it taught me a lot so uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot man how was it getting from uh, getting from the uh, side? I say as small as Swindon. I mean that with respect. All yeah. the way to play at Wembley uh, in the um, in the the playoff final. How how was that journey? It was a great journey. I loved it. Um, Swindon, compared to the teams that were in that league at that time, there was you know good teams there. Wolves the previous year then Preston these clubs are bigger than Swindon but we got there um, but at the end of the day you know 
it was a club that wasn't built for going up the leagues. It was more to, you know, make players and sell them. So um, I was obviously disappointed that we we lost and we didn't get into the into the championship. Um, a lot of your colleagues, though, from that team that reached the the final, they went on to to sign for uh, teams in the Premier League and the Championship. Why do you think you didn't get your your break to to sign for a, a team bigger than Swindon in England? Same, it's the style of play. I think the style of play. That's what it comes down to. And obviously, behind the scenes, certain moves uh, that people make uh, on your behalf, but. It's mainly the style of play. Um, was there was there at any point? Because I I heard this from different sources, and maybe you could confirm it for us. I heard there was interest in you from uh, a variety of teams, but uh, Swindon were being very unreasonable and um, unfair in their demands, and they were refusing to sell you unless it was like a astronomical price. Can you confirm this? Um, no, I think at the end of the day. If you got a good price on me, remember that as the years ticked on my contract, they got a sell, uh, and it wasn't like I was sitting in the, you know, in uh, like I would. It's not like when I was talking to the owner, I wasn't talking to him, you know. Yeah, I, uh, how do I say it? You know, uh, as somebody who was going to stay there for ten years, I was talking to him normally and saying, hey. If a deal comes through or a bid comes through, what you gonna what are you gonna do? And he's all, he always did tell me. I mean, I gotta just take it at face value. He did tell me if a bid comes through, we'll negotiate it and make sure we don't get ripped off, but we'll never stand in your way, you know, because he was a player himself, and he's a businessman, and he always wanted to make a good deal for himself and the club, but. As the years tick by, you got to remember, when there's two years left on a deal, that means it's becoming very difficult for the club unless the player signs a new contract. And I was never going to sign a new contract. And then when there was a year left, that's like, hey, you got to sell him more or we're going to lose him in a year or six months he can sign somewhere else. And that's what kind of happened. Uh, the, uh, the, um, I, I think truly what happened was... I had uh, certain attention from certain clubs, but a bid never came through. That was, you know, concrete. A proper concrete. So, are, are we referring to Sw uh, Swansea here? Because there, there, there was reports on the transfer deadline. Yeah, that was one of the main clubs. Was there other clubs involved that you could name? Um, there was, but I can't name names now, and I don't even know. If the people that were at the time at that club still there, so I don't know. Yeah, but there was other clubs. Fair enough. Um, let's look. Can we ask about that Swindon? Uh, so the uh, the Swansea deal. How close was that to fruition? Um, I don't know what happened at the time with that club, and I still don't know what who's there. Or thereabouts, because you got to remember, there's an owner, then there's a, like a CEO below him, and there's people below that and below that. But I know from from talking to certain people, there's somebody there that really wanted me to come over and sign for them at that time, and he was pretty high up in the club. Um, but 
Uh, you don't know. You don't know how a club is run. All I know is because they were playing certain type of football, they appreciated my style than, say, someone like a Stoke City, you know? Not now, but back then. Yeah. Who used to just go long and, you know, kick the hell out of it and be very physical. A Stoke City would look at me and go, that's no way our type of player. But Swansea at that time would look at me and go, that's our type of player. And they did. And there was, you know... Real, real, real attention. But uh, unless the deal gets done, it doesn't get done. Yeah, I remember, man. I remember um, I was sat at home just refreshing Twitter, waiting for some news to come through from one of the uh, the Iraqi journalists or something from the BBC, like just to confirm the deal. But it was it was like it ticked over past the uh, transfer deadline day, and unfortunately, nothing happened. Did that, was that like a heartbreak for you or did you just kind of accept it or like how, how did how did that make you feel knowing that the deal didn't happen? Um, I didn't know what to think to be honest. I was never in that position before. But then day you want to keep going and improving your yourself and, you know, pushing yourself to new heights. Um, I wasn't obviously going to sit back and go, hey, uh, it doesn't matter to me now that that deal didn't happen. I obviously was going to think, hey, I wish that deal did happen. But at the same time, I had a club and I had a contract and I had to go out there and play football. And, I'll play, and, and you know, go win football games. And not just win football games, win training. <laughs> Do well in training and win training games. But around that time, players were getting sold as well in Swindon. And the quality kind of dropped within the club and as much as you can fight on and off the pitch if the people around you are not really you know growing the football club you're kind of fighting a losing battle so the last season um let's say would you say you weren't at your best or like you struggled with injuries or i struggled with a bit of injuries but at the same time you're in the last year of your contract and you don't know where the club is going. Uh, other than that, I felt the club wasn't very consistently good in its operations. And yeah, they ended up obviously not doing well and I was in and out of injuries. And it messes, up, messes you up because you don't want to be the guy who's injured and at the end of your contract and going to a club, another club injured. Fair enough. Um, and even then, and even on. then, to be honest, I played through injury. I played, I played through an ankle injury. A friend of mine came to watch me in one of the games, and he said, "You're just not running correctly. There's something wrong with you." And I go, "Yeah, I'm, I'm playing with like t torn ligaments in my ankle, um, and that's because I wanted to do well for for myself in the sense that I was in my last year of my deal, and and also for the club because we needed to stay in the league." So how was it when you signed for Nottingham? Um, no, sorry, Northampton. Um, were you excited or were you disappointed that you kind of stayed at the same league? Or what were your thoughts when when you signed that deal? I wasn't so disappointed by that time to be signing in the same league, but I was kind of disappointed in the sense that I was hoping to I'd go abroad. But there wasn't deals. You see, the way football works is is uh, it's like a business in the sense that if your market is in League One 
or championship in England, it's very difficult to then go to a top league in maybe Holland or maybe France or Spain. Uh, you know, and sign for a club there and then suddenly be playing like one of the weeks against Barcelona or Real Madrid or Ajax or against PSG. The market kind of doesn't work like that um, unless you've got certain connections that can make that move for you. And that comes with a bit, you know, networking and a bit of luck. So um, I wasn't so much disappointed to answer your question that I was signing for a League One club, I was more disappointed that I couldn't get my move abroad because I felt my style would be much more appreciated abroad. Um, but I couldn't make it uh, at that time. You talk about uh, like playing against teams like Barcelona uh, every other week or whatever. You've, you've played against huge teams as well in your career. I remember the, the first game where I actually uh, I saw you play a full 90 minutes. Yeah. was against Chelsea and you, you didn't exactly look out of your depth in fact you played very 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 well probably the best player in your team that match mm. do you think you could have like uh, you could have done it against a team like Barcelona or like uh, in a league like uh, Spain or Holland well imagine that you're playing Chelsea right and to this day I know I know that they what they brought on the pitch was different to many other games that I've played teams against have brought they brought something that was a higher level but like you said i wasn't out of my depth and i wasn't out of place um so imagine just playing week in week out against top teams like that maybe not week in week out maybe out of you know the month you play once that means i have 12 months or the 10 months you play 10 teams that are like that that are top of the top guess what you as a player become fundamentally better you become smarter you become stronger you realize your weaknesses better you it's just you know you become a much more rounded player and a much more mature player very quickly uh, that's what that taught, that game taught me uh, and remember my style was based on that sort of game which was Chelsea were at that time very counter-attacking under Mourinho um, and they had just a depth to their tactical knowledge that was so great all the top teams have that but they have different styles Mourinho's was counter-attacking you know they'd win it on the edge of their box and they'd be over uh, in our box getting a goal shot on goal or getting a corner it was 2-0 the result for that match yeah. right? yeah yeah 2-0 yeah I remember it um, who, who did he trade shirts with afterwards? I didn't get a shirt. Really? I never got, no, no, I didn't. Oh, uh, well, we lost. You know, you lost. I don't think... Um, no, I never got a shirt. We lost. I wasn't looking to get a shirt when you lose. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. To be fair, uh, I respect that attitude, man. Uh, Alex Ferguson, everybody uh, who listens to this knows I'm a big United fan. Uh, he instilled that attitude in United players as well. If you lose, you don't get a shirt. <laughs> yeah, simple. If you win, hey, can I have your shirt? And if he doesn't give it to you, he doesn't give it to you. Same with us. Like, I wasn't going to go get somebody's shirt when we lost. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so, hang on. Let's go back to this. You signed for Northampton. You wanted to kind of sign up, but it didn't happen. Talk us through that move. Like, why did you sign for them? Um, <laughs> well, yeah. the manager at the time, 
Justin Edinburgh, who's unfortunately passed away, um, he said, uh, yes, I need you at this club and I'll make sure it's the right atmosphere and environment for you. The second time I spoke to him, he said that. First time I said, I've got to think about it and I'm not sure. Then he spoke to my agent at that time and then we spoke again and he said, yes, come, sign the deal. I'm going to make sure this is the right place for you. So I, I, so I couldn't say no by then because, you know, there, there was interest abroad, but there wasn't a deal in place. And he, at the time, had the same agent I had previously. So they knew me. The previous agent knew me and knew my style and knew my personality. And the manager was so, you know, up for signing me. But I turned up. He doesn't necessarily know what to do with me. He doesn't know the plan and how to, you know, shift the right players in the right positions and create the right style. Nonetheless, okay, we can work with it. I tried to work with it, but he got sacked after four or five games, I think a couple of weeks into the season. And then it's like, hey, I'm kind of in no man's land. I've got a deal in place. It's not a bad deal, but then again, I did want to go abroad. And I only signed because this manager had, you know, promised me he was going to make it right. He was going to create a winning culture. And then you bring a different coach in. And that different coach wasn't the guy that signed me. And it was uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank that came in, right? Yeah, it was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. And he just, yeah, it, it was the wrong type of fit for me with, with uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Was it personal stuff or were you say it was tactical? I don't think anything's ever personal. When a coach comes in and he's, you know, he's got 25 players, he's never going to come after a player and go, yeah, it's personal unless you make it personal. And I've never made it personal in my whole career. I've never tried to make it personal with a, with a coach. I've always made it about, about the work, about, you know, hey, this isn't right for me on the pitch or, hey, how am I going to play if you, if you want me just to kick it into the corner? flag like that's not my style so it was never personal it was just more you know he's got his tactics he wants to play a certain way i believe he could you know his man management could be a could have been a bit better but at the end of the day he had his style and i have mine and what, did, and it did, just did, didn't did work out you a fair chance because i mean you, you played a few games at the beginning you uh, can't, No, but you can't, you can't say he wants to give you a fair chance when he doesn't want a player like me. So do you understand? He doesn't even want a player like I me. I get he that, won't. but surely, yeah. surely the manager thinks, okay, maybe Yasser is not really my style, but maybe I can turn him into the player I want him to be by giving you minutes and tactics and instructions. Yeah... Um... You're talking about uh, you're talking about a different level of managers now. You're talking about a level of managers that are, that are willing to risk their livelihood for 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 a player. Uh, you're talking about a mindset where you know how do I say? It? You're talking about kind of like a Guardiola and like. Uh, what other managers? Sir Alex uh, Ferguson kind of thing. Yes, Alex Ferguson. They have so much power. They have so much backing. 
they have such a big name that they can influence a player's mind to the point where they go, okay, hey, this is what I want from you, and this is how you're going to do it, and if you do this, we're going to go to the top together. Um, Jimmy Floyd at that time is, is not that type of guy, and... It wasn't like he was looking to take North... I didn't feel he was looking to take Northampton to the top. I was feeling like he was going to play the players that he wanted, bring in the players that he wanted, and get the results that he wanted, and probably, you know, make it to the champ with Northampton or move on to another championship club. Right. Because he came from QPR, so he wanted to go back to the championship. So yeah. you uh, you had a contract for two years, right? How long were you there uh, at Northampton for? I ended up being there about a season and a half. Because um, after the first year, I think Jimmy Floyd had gone, then there was a new manager. And the new manager did tell me, hey, I'm not sure this is going to be the place for you. I said, okay, no problem. Um, I'll look to leave. But when you're not playing games and you're not getting minutes is difficult and you know we were trying to sort out some sort of compromise on the contract and they weren't very good with it but nonetheless we got a sword but it took, a, it took me into the next transfer window so I was there into, for a season and a half and then you kind of you went for a, a long patch where you were unable to find the club that must have been a really difficult time for you Already, I'd already, uh, what's the word? I'd already uh, been through that patch because I'd left Tottenham and I went to another club, and it took me a bit of time to sign for Brighton, and that was via Sheffield United. So I'd already been through it, and at the same time, I was building my own thing, my my investments outside outside uh, football. But one of my main worries was as well towards the end of my Northampton career. I, uh, they got a new coach and that coach he seems reasonable and he got me back into training with the first team because uh, the club was trying to push me out and they were making me train with the reserves but he got me back but as I was getting back into the first team training I was really really pushing myself to you know go hey I could get back and, and do well for this coach and he'll back me not knowing that he only put me back because he wanted to just have a good atmosphere around the club and just get everybody involved. In my mind, I'm always, hey, this is an opportunity, let's do it, let's take it. And I tried my damn hardest to get back in, but the club was never, was never going to let me play again at that, around that time because we were negotiating out of the deal. And I got, I picked up a little bit of an injury. So when I picked up a little bit of an injury, I still pushed it and pushed it. And I ended up obviously negotiating on my deal, but having a bit of a, an injury. And so I rehabbed it after that. And that's why I kind of spent a bit of time out. Uh, and I wasn't too down about it because I wanted to be 100% before moving somewhere. And hey... You know, things work out in its own in its own time, and I moved to Sweden. And you finally got your move abroad, um, Ori, bro. How how was that? It was great. Hey, I wanted to go somewhere where they play a certain brand, a certain style of football. 
Uh, I didn't think it would be Sweden, but I ended up going to Sweden. Uh, it was a mid-table side when I went there. It was, they were in the middle of the season because their seasons are flipped. They play through the summer and they, they begin around February and end in November, December time. And I said to myself, hey, this is an opportunity that I'd like to take. I took it. I signed a short-term deal and I got in the team reasonably quick, a month without doing a pre-season and, you know, help the team stabilize itself because as I was coming in, they weren't getting the right results. But I could tell, I could have a feeling like it's a mid-table club, but they just got to change their attitude a little bit in the changing room and on the training pitch and on match days where they need to, you know, beat the teams they should beat. And I helped with that, uh, and I trained really well, and I got into the side in the end. Uh, do you yeah. think you kind of deserved a, an extension on your on your contract, or were you never interested in that? No, I negotiated. I myself made that deal happen, and I negotiated it. And there was an extension of two years on it. Um, but you got to face the reality of football sometimes and realize that, hey, things are not in your hand, even how, even if you do well on the pitch. Um Sometimes that's why agents are so important in the game of football because on your behalf, they can really influence the outcome of a club's decision. Um, and I didn't have an agent at that time and I negotiated my deal and negotiated the extension, but they didn't take the extension. And I know the reasons why, but at the end of the day, I wasn't unhappy about them not taking the extension because, uh, you know, I think it was, you know, I went there, did well, played, got good results for them, and they gave me an opportunity to play abroad. So we were both happy. I was told that it was um, Ahmed Yassin's brother Zaid that was negotiating on your behalf, but you're saying you did it yourself. No, he, he got in contact with them and he spoke with the coach and then I spoke with the coach but when I went over there I made the deal myself. Right, okay, because there were still rumours circling that he was your, your new agent. But that, that's no, look, I don't have an agent. At the moment I don't have an agent. Zaid um, uh, is a good person that I know that talks to clubs on my behalf but whenever I do a deal... I, I do the deal myself uh, and whoever's got me the contact is in the, on the deal with me and I look after them uh, uh, as I should. So, Fair. so how I don't actually have an outright agent. I yeah. don't, I'm not signed with anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you go from, um, from Sweden, you finish your, uh, the season and then in <clears> January, you finish in November, right? Yeah, yeah, November, so late November, November, and then you sign in January with Erbil. Nobody yes. was expecting that. How did you come to the conclusion that this was the right move for you? It's just the fact that when the season ended in Sweden, it's difficult to sign for another European club where their seasons are from May to uh, from August to May. Their January window, they don't really look for, you know, they look up, they look at players that they need to get to fill in certain places, maybe injuries or this and that. And, you know, as a midfielder, I wasn't getting the opportunity to go to maybe a Dutch club 
even though I tried, I had some connections in Holland, or maybe like a Belgium, or maybe like a France, or even Spain. Again, it wasn't working out abroad, so Erbil came in, and I actually had another deal in place in another Asian country. I don't really want to mention, but it's very far away from Iraq, and that fell through. So that week it fell through. You know, we were negotiating wages, whatever, everything. It kind of fell through. It, it fell through. It didn't kind of. It just fell through. I said, you know what, Erbil is willing to do it. Let's sign the deal and go to Erbil. Did you enjoy your time there? I did. At the beginning, I did. While the games were going, I did. Um, but obviously, when COVID hit, it became a little bit of a different story. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't end as well as I'd hoped it did. Uh, I heard there were difficulties with wages and that sort of thing. Yeah, difficulty with wages, difficulty with uh, living arrangements, difficulties with a lot of things. But at the end of the day, it should never be difficult to communicate. I don't care if you're Kurdish, born in Kurdistan, if you're Swedish, if you're Indian, if you're UK-based, whatever. Communicate. Especially, but it, it's kind of frustrating. It was really frustrating, actually. And I came out on TV and spoke about it in national TV in Iraq in one of the TV stations. I'm Iraqi. Communicate with me. I'm your brother, you're Iraqi or Kurdish background, because Arabil is more of the Kurdish side. I'm still one of you guys. You're, you are one of me. Sit down with me and talk to me. The people at the club, at the top, sit down and talk to me. We all want what's best for you, for me, and for, for, your, for your family, for my family, because you live in the country, and I've come to the country after leaving it for so long, and we all want to help each other. Let's communicate. And the breakdown of communication, I wouldn't even say breakdown, it was non-existent. I, that's what frustrated me. I didn't like that. Forget the money, forget everything else. I didn't like the most non-existent communication. It's a shame, it's a shame, um, but I want to ask you in terms of, let's stick to the football side of things now. Yeah. Um, when you were there, obviously you've played with the Iraqi national team, what was it like now going from like uh, playing in England and then you're playing suddenly in the Iraqi league, what was that transition like? It was a sweet transition because their style of play is actually more accommodated to me than the English league. First of all, the weather. Um, the weather's hot. Very hot. And that's uh, something we you enjoy? Sorry? That's something you enjoy? Oh, I love it. Why? Because it slows the game down and makes it tactical and technical. So you can't run around like a crazy person and then rest for a day or two and then play another game and run around like a crazy person. It's more thoughtful, it's more tactical, it's more technical. Um, and so that sort of game really suits me and I love it. But at the same time, because I've got my English background of playing in the English league, I have that fitness, I have the fitness levels. So I did enjoy it. I enjoy playing against different Iraqi teams and playing for a beer. Uh, and at the end of the day, it was, it's my home country, man. I, grew, I, I was born there, I grew up there. My language was becoming better. Um, just meeting people of the same background, same 
color, same everything, culture. Really nice. Uh, going to Baghdad for games, going to Basra for games, seeing new cities in Iraq. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. What about the quality of football in terms of like training and the coaching and the facilities? Um, it's all down to business, man. Remember, Iraq is coming out of, you know, a dictatorship for the last however many years since, you know, 2003, but, you know, there was problems. Let's say it's had like 10 years to come out of it. It's very small, small amount of time for it to to prosper. So, but football clubs, businesses around Iraq, and these people, and it's the right sort of people, and it's people with good heart, uh, to develop these strong business men and women and he, there's a lot that needs to be done there's a lot that needs to be done there for the level to come up the players are the last resort the players are just employees uh, but you can get players from everywhere in the world you can get them from Africa you can get them from Asia you can get them from here the UK, Europe they'll go down there but you've got to set up the right environment I don't think the right environment is set up right now for players all around the world to come to Iraq. If they do, and Iraq is built, I have no doubt that Iraq would be one of the best places in the world to live, one of the best places to play football, one of the best places to bring your children up, to bring your family to, and, you know, to prosper. I know. <laughs> I know. Iraq... Iraq could be that special could place. Be. Um, I guess it's our responsibility to, to make it happen uh, rather than just a dream. Yes, I want to jump into actually talking about the Iraq national team. Um, okay. You made your debut against China, if I'm not mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the match. We, we needed a desperate win to make it to the second stage of the qualifying rounds. And um, I'm sure Hassan remembers this as well. Um, uh, it was a, it was an incredible game, Hassan. What were your thoughts? Like you, you're seeing, Gasol Qasim is about to come on. There, it was under Hakim Shakir. We, there weren't many expats. How how excited were you? Yeah, uh, I remember that game. Uh, quite a while ago, but uh, still vividly, I remember it. Uh, uh, I mean, Yasser Qasim, we we had known you for from your days at Swindon at the time. But uh, not with the national team yet, so we were. Everybody was excited to see, you know, what will you bring? But uh, within ninety minutes, uh, was it was done. Uh, best mi- best midfielder since Nashat Akerman, in my opinion. At that Thank game, you. I think we won three uh, one. Yeah, three one or something like that. Mahmoud, yeah. Mahmoud scored twice, and I think Ali Adnan scored the yeah, third. Yeah, and Ali Adnan. Yeah, Yasser, how was it? Like you, you just you fitted in so seamlessly into that team. You don't. You don't need like a, a proper like a training camp. You don't feel out of place in the style of play. You just came in and just bust it. Yeah, when you're young, it's momentum, and I had the momentum with me, and also uh, not thinking too much when you're young. So uh, I didn't think too much about it. I had a bit of momentum with me. I went there and did it. But hey, remember also, I'd been there previously with previous managers and understood that. You know, this is a little bit, it's a pear-shaped organization with the Iraqi teams and the Iraqi national team. So when I went there, I was just like, hey, let's just play football. And, 
you know, luckily Hakim started me and and uh, we got the win. You yeah. went from there very quickly. You uh, just turned into like a powerhouse in the world of Asian football. Um, what would do you remember? What were your thoughts on the, the 2015 Asian Cup? From China, from qualifying against China to getting into the tournament to getting to the tournament and playing teams in the tournament, it was awesome, man. I, awesome. Um, I remember your goal against Jordan. Mm. What, what did it mean for you to score for Iraq? It was more. It meant more for me that to to take over that game. Because I, I remember for that goal, I remember looking up. I don't know what minute I scored it, maybe 78th or whatever. But I looked up and it said 72 minute on the on the TV in the stadium. And I thought, hey, I got to take over this. Uh, I got to take over this game and get something because the next game was Japan, and Japan was very difficult. I knew they were a powerhouse of Asian football. They've come up the last 20 years. They've they've looked after the federation, finance, you know, bringing players through some amazing... So I thought, you know, that would be going to be a very difficult team. But after that, we had Palestine. So we had to get a result against Jordan. And I didn't want it to be a draw. So to actually get the goal, and it was the winning goal, very happy because then we could go into Japan. And, you know, even if the result didn't go again, uh, with us we could still qualify by beating Palestine. And that's how it worked. It was nil not the Japan game, right? No, they won 1-0. No. Oh, they won, yeah, yeah, yeah. Under yeah. penalty, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it was, a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Japan, Japan, look, Japan was another Chelsea game. Another understanding of how they were operating. A higher level, uh, a bunch of players played European football. Uh, I think they had Kagawa at that time. If not, they had Honda. Kagawa and uh, Honda, yeah. Yeah, and then they had the left back at Inter Milan. I got his shirt. Yep. That was the only guy. <laughs> Nagatomo. <laughs> Nagatomo, I got his shirt. Um, because, you know, uh, my brother had lived in Japan and flew in Japanese. I wanted to give him the shirt, so I got, I got a Japanese <laughs> shirt. Um, but, yeah, that team played amazing football. So it's just the experiences, man. You're playing against Japan and then you're playing against Jordan, our neighbours, and, you know, you've got a little bit of a history with and you've got a back and forth. It's lovely playing that. Hey, once the game's over, it's over. Yeah. Say say your goodbyes. Say well done. Move on to the next game, Japan, and then Palestine as well. Meeting the guys and some of the guys actually came to our hotel. And if I remember correctly, one of the guys took my shirt. I gave him one of my shirts. So it was. It's just all of that that I saw experience and getting the wins and stuff. But obviously, nothing compares to to the Iran game. Okay, here we go. I was waiting for you to mention this. Talk me through that, man. That was, I think, till now, probably second or third craziest match I've ever seen. But it was it was amazing. Uh, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to play in that match. Crazy, crazy game. Crazy up and down emotions. And you know, it's Iran, your neighbours, and. My father was drafted into the war against Iran and all that sort of stuff. And that's, that sort of stuff is meaningless compared to a football. Well, not meaningless. What I'm trying to say is, like, there's so much history to it. By the end of the day, as you face off against your so-called rivals or your neighbors, get put on a show for Iranians and Iraqis and made the best win. And we won. 
we, you know, obviously got lucky in certain points, they got unlucky, we got unlucky in certain points, and they got unlucky. But it was a whole drama, a whole entertainment, and the whole world could, if they were watching that game, would have been, you know, saying, they would have said that was a crazy two hours and an amazing two hours to watch. And we won it, and hey, it felt so good. Uh, but at the end of it, you know, personally, I loved the fans that were there. I loved the Iraqis that were there, that were cheering us on. And I'm sure as any other player would be, I was emotionally and physically drained. So, I mean, you played, you played half the match with your head wrapped. Yeah, because I think, yeah, somebody cut me by hitting me through the back of my head and started bleeding. And it was just, it wasn't much the blood, it was more the the headache, not headachey. Luckily, I wasn't getting double vision, but I was getting a little bit of a headachiness. But hey, once you're in the game, it doesn't matter, man. I could have got anything and I would play for it, as long as obviously nothing too dangerous. But so, yeah, you, I wrapped it up. As long as the bleeding wasn't coming onto the t shirt, I was good to go. Um, okay, I want to ask you a question. I know there's going to be very interested Iranians listening to this. Was it a sending off? Or not? Well, the Iranian. Oh, yeah, yeah the Iranian issue. <sighs> hey, maybe so, maybe not. Definitely all I know is, or yeah, all I know is, uh, the more acting there is at that time, I think the acting is a little bit stopped with VAR. VAR stopped the acting as much. But at that time, there wasn't VAR, and the more acting there is, the more difficult it is for the ref. So don't act. Just play your game and don't act. Unless, you know, something's gone down that's really, really bad. You know, uh, racism or an elbow off the ball. You go ahead and, you know, talk to the ref and let him know. But I think certain people, they act a little bit too much. Um, and what happens is, it's a back and forth. And so the ref is so trying to get the right decision that he goes with what he thinks straight away. And he thought it was a it was a red. And hey, I agree with him. But at the end of the like I kinda agree with him, but at the end of the day he went to penalties and you gotta just make sure you win the penalty shootout. All right, That's so all. what was going through your head when you took up uh you were about to take that penalty? Not much. I was thinking, first of all, uh, I've never been in that sort of pressurized penalty taking position. So at the beginning, I was thinking, hey, I want to take a pen. What number was I going to go? Uh, so the coach obviously asked who wants to take it. There was a bunch of hands that gone up. And then we obviously uh, looked at what number we were. I think I may have been third. I'm not sure. Third or fourth. But. I took the, the uh, so then it was all about jogging to the penalty spot and making sure I was in the right frame of mind to take my pen because we've trained on penalties but it's not the same on it's not the same pressure. I can't but I, I was can't like, even like imagine the pressure, man. Like when you're no, there, no. don't you think about like all the fans and if if I miss this, all of Iraq is gonna be heartbroken. Don't you think about any of these things? Well, look, in any sort of work environment, you're going to think about 
what do I need to do to succeed? So, for example, if you're doing a podcast like this, hey, I need the right equipment, I need the right questions, I need to do my research. So when I'm holding, locked in with my players, I'm thinking about my breathing, I'm thinking about focusing in on getting to the play spot in the right frame of mind, but also because people have, players had gone and shot previously to me, I was watching the goalkeeper. And I was thinking, hey, what does he, what can he do? I wasn't. That's where you shouldn't let the pressure get to you, and then you don't think anymore. You got to think clearly. And at that time, I was thinking, okay, what's the goalkeeper doing? And the goalkeeper was moving quite early, and he was jumping early. So it felt like even if you went into the corner, he was gonna kind of get there. He was a good goalkeeper. He wasn't a bad goalkeeper, their goalkeeper. He was, he was quite athletic. So once you just get your breathing right and you get focused in, I was like, hey, let me just go into, if he's going to jump early, don't give him the eyes. I don't like to give the eyes to a goalkeeper. You know, look one way and shoot the other. But kind of just shape your body to go one way and go the other. And don't go too much into the corner. Just make sure you get... Uh, powerful in a good good position of the goal and luckily he didn't you know he didn't save it I went and scored did you send him the wrong way? I can't remember exactly. if I can remember correctly he may have gone the wrong way or I've got, or he went the right way but he went too low okay. and I went a little bit too high I can't remember yeah alright Um. how did you celebrate that win? or how did the team celebrate that win? hey uh, as soon as the f- the goal went in I started running. I didn't run to player uh, to who scored uh, the final uh, goal. I ran to uh, uh, the fans to my left. I just celebrated with the fans. I was really, hey, I was really hyped. I loved every minute of it. I loved the game. I loved that fact that we won. And then we just ended up going to the hotel and and chilling. Um, you had a I think relationship was... with Schneeshel, didn't you? With who? With Radhi Radhi Schneeshel. Yeah, I've never had a bad, I, I don't have bad relationships with the coaches. I don't really, I hope I don't, but I, the pressures of football get to everybody. But with Ravi, he was just a, I felt he was a good guy. I went to his house one day, I think before the tournament, and I just saw the guy. I was like, this is a simple, honest, down-to-earth person. Whether he's coaching his top of the world or not or whatever I made the judgment and said this is a good guy I appreciate I appreciate a good person I appreciate a good guy and and uh, I wanted to play for him and that's why you know I tried my best and and wanted him to do well as a coach in the Asia uh, in the Asia Cup when did you know you're going to be suspended for the uh, semi-finals I knew straight away in the quarterfinals because of the pass that um, the player made, uh, Ahmed made it from the back. Yeah, I knew. As soon as I got the yellow, I was really pissed off, but you got to get on with it. So I was kind of pissed off. I'm still but, absolutely certain that if you were not suspended, I think we would have won it again. Um, I think we would have had a better chance against Korea because watching Korea from the outside, they weren't like Japan. Japan were another force, and it wasn't as emotionally charged as Iran. So Korea was, if I could play that game, I don't know, but hey, 
you never know. Australia was a good game, a good team. And Korea weren't a bad team, but, you know, you got to get a little bit lucky, maybe if I don't get... And I don't think it was a yellow, but he gave it very easily. But what can you do? Yeah, that's football. Um, it, was, it was a weird time, you in the Iraqi national team. It went from you being on top of the world to very quickly, it seemed like the media was against you. It seemed like... Um, the uh, people within the national team didn't really want you there and they were making your life difficult. Can you shed any light on what happened? Look, well, looking back at, at the end of the day, I feel like I went there, I did well and kind of opened the doors to the foreign players. And that may not be a good business for the people who work with the Iraqi Federation because foreign players do not work the way Iraqi style, as we say, Iraqi style works. Um, they want to go there, play for the country, and do well, and get out, and go home. But at the same time, national teams across the world sign contracts. They sign deals for big tournaments, they sign deals for qualifiers, they sign deals for friendlies, uh, they sign deals about how they get their expenses paid, all that. That doesn't happen in Iraq. And when I opened that door, no, we don't have some sort of federation that talks to their, like a players federation that talks to the federation, the Iraqi Football Federation, and get something good for the players and make things smooth out for everybody. Um, so as well as I was going to do and as well as the other foreign so-called expat players were going to do, um, the games in Iraq is that get played is, is different. It's a different ball game. It's not, it's not, it's not to your face. It's behind closed doors, you know. It's, it's too businesslike. I, I I don't know what to call it, but all Iraqis know it. <laughs> Would how um, how different were you treated as an expat compared to the other players? Was it in your face? Was it kind of uh, discreet? I no, I don't think I was treated any different. I was just my Arabic wasn't as good as if I grew up in Iraq and I was schooled in Iraq. Like grew up my whole life in Iraq and school is in Iraq. So I didn't know how to portray it. Like everybody gets treated differently in different countries. But once you know the language and you know the culture, the inside and out of the culture, you know what's happening. So the other so players treated you just as well. I mean, I've had, I've had numerous expat players complain to me, telling me players don't pass to them in training because they're expat. They don't talk to them. Uh, they have like little cliques where yeah, they isolate them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that happens all over the world. Another day, to stamp that out, you need to have the right system. And unfortunately for Iraq, the system in Iraq is not as good as different countries. So Now, I'm not saying different countries have an amazing system, but they are better. So, you know, if there's no passing, it's stamped out quicker than Iraq. If there's no communication, it's hey. Let's communicate quicker than Iraq. Iraq is not like that. Iraq is, hey, too many things behind, you know, closed doors, too many decisions, uh, just not enough good people. 
You said, you said um, like the manager earlier, right at the beginning, in fact, you said that the manager doesn't really have a say in terms of who gets to play and who's picked for the squads, etc. So how, how do players get selected? What's it based on? It depends. It's cycles. Football is all about cycles. So one day it could be a manager who has the same agent who made the deal for him to coach the Iraqi team and then and then they bring certain players and that play, those players sign with that agent and then go ahead and play for the national team. Uh, another day it could be the federation picking the players for the for the manager because the manager's close to a certain amount guys in the federation and those players play and then they get sold on to different clubs from their home clubs in Iraq and you know there's so many different cycles different different ways um, and that just gets in the way of making a good team though that's the problem because a good team doesn't work like that a good team has to have the right people in the right places and the best people in the training in their clubs making you know an impact in games um so what do you, know, you think what do you think the, the future has for iraq football iraq if you look at iraqi football iraqi football you go look at it like a business like iraqi business so you go look at the future of iraqi business what's iraqi business tied with it's tied with iraqi society so what's the future of Iraqi society? I hope that Iraqi society would be like what I've heard back in the days, you know. I don't know what era, but you know that back in the days where, you know, palm trees and nice pavements and people living, you know, simple but with a bit of lavishness uh, and working together to build a, a beautiful country if you have that and good people you know not scared uh, and commerce different countries coming in uh, different kind of cultures coming in and living in iraq and loving iraq that's tight if that society is built then obviously the good guys will take over iraqi football the good guys will take over sports other sports like uh, tennis or whatever sports basketball whatever sports that's played on different commerce different things uh, in banking and everything it's tied to society it's however that society wants to what pathway it wants to go and i'm not in the position to, to <laughs> to to know that because i gotta live in iraq i gotta get into different that's a different world to me and yeah. Um, yeah that's what i think i think hopefully one day good people take over the country and build it up because i'm sure the finances of iraq uh, are better than most countries because we've got oil yeah so my final question to you is um yeah. The, the fans, man, they've been dying to hear from you, and it's been so long since they've been able to see anything on social media. I mean, your, your Twitter got hacked at one point. You, your your Instagram has been inactive. Why, why yeah. have you decided to step away from social media? Well, yeah, my social media got hacked at one point, but at the same time, I realized what social media was about. Uh, I don't really go on it too much anymore because um, other than sort of business 
relate things because I feel like it kind of messes with your mind. Social media is an overload of information. And even though there might be some good bits of information, it's nonetheless an overload of, of information and it, it's too much. So I don't get on it anymore. And it's not real. It's not real. If you look at it, you don't know what's the truth and what's the untruth. So I'm just looking to, you know, get on it for business-related issues and and not really uh, show my life or, or, so for or all, show the, myself. For to, all the fans who have been desperate to hear from you, have you got like a final message to them? Just like uh, something to tell them since it's been so long? love you guys um, hopefully I'll be moving on to a new chapter in my in my life uh, a new club uh, and I'll keep you know maturing and doing my thing and whoever is out there whether it's in Iraq or all around in any part of the world uh, whatever age you are just keep moving forward and keep pushing for your dreams and uh, doing well for yourself and your happiness and uh, you know if you ever come across me just say hi Yasser thank you so so much man um, I know you're looking for a new club now uh, good luck yep. with that I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna be uh, telling our fans our fan base all about that move we want to make sure you tell us as well before um, before anything happens because we want to we want to share that news with our fans and they're desperate to hear all about you but Appreciate yeah, man, bro. listen, thank you so, so much. Um, I, I can't tell you, like in words, what it means for me to be able to sit and have this conversation with you. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing you face to face very, very soon, inshallah. All right, bro, I look forward to it. We'll grab a coffee. Hopefully. Thank no, you I'm so Yeah. All right, well, All right, man. Until then, bro, take care. Take care. Take care, guys. Wow, uh, what a conversation. That was uh, so interesting to, to hear from somebody with that much experience playing all across the world now. Uh, I'm really excited to see where the the next career move takes Yasser and I wish him all the best. Hassan, how did you feel listening to all that and having that discussion with him? Yeah, 100%, uh, same thoughts. Uh, really looking forward to see where he's going to go next. I mean, he's had a very eventful career so far and has stayed out of the media for a very long time. So it was uh, pretty big to have him with us today. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what what would you say, Joe? Yasser Qasim highlight. In terms of, uh, I mean, career-wise, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't top the uh, Asian Cup 2015. Uh, that was, you know, outstanding. Just like like the level he reached, and then, uh, you know, since then, we haven't seen too much of him. But uh, you know, we'll we'll see what the future holds. Yeah, one hundred percent, man. Um, I think I think there's still a still an incredible midfielder there. Um, I actually I played football with Yasser the other day. Not saying I'm a professional or anything, but uh, honestly, without even breaking sweat, he scored five ridiculous goals against me. I'm a goalkeeper for those who don't know. And um, yeah, there's there's levels to it, man. And this guy is just such a phenomenal footballer. And um, 
maybe he's not reached the potential that he could have done, but he, he's, a, he's an incredible footballer, and I think he's just been unlucky in terms of getting a break. And I really wish him all the best, uh, and inshallah, we, we see him do well in his career in the next move, and fingers crossed, maybe we see him in the Iraq shirt again. Do you think that'll yeah, happen? Yeah, I mean, uh, anything's possible uh, moving forward. He just needs the right environment. I mean... We'll see how what his what his next move is going to be club wise, and uh, I mean we'll see how Katanich uh, uh, what he decides. It's uh, it's all going to have to come back to his uh, his next move. But uh, there's definitely a good player there. Uh, we haven't seen enough of him with the national team. That's uh, that's the problem. Uh, we know what he's capable of, but uh, it was short lived, unfortunately, uh, for a whole bunch of different reasons. But uh, he's a great player, and uh, more importantly, a great guy as well. So uh, we really hope, uh, hope to see them there. And he seems to have matured a lot uh, as well. So um, hopefully he gets that break. Um, in terms of the next podcast, we'll try our best to do one in a uh, a month's time. We'll do like a preview. Iraq, uh, they should have a friendly with Oman. Uh, that, that'll be on the 13th of November. And we're trying, I say we, I think that uh, the Iraq FA, they're trying to also organize one with Uzbekistan on the 17th of uh, November. So what we'll do, we'll have a podcast for October and then we'll, we'll make one for the November following the matches. Uh, Hassan, where can the fans find you? Yeah, uh, I mean, primarily on Twitter uh, at uh, Hassan O underscore 1193. Uh, that's uh, pretty much where I am. Uh, and guys, find me on uh, Twitter at Araq Football Pod. Find me on Instagram at Araq Football Pod or on my personal account at Hassanen, H-A-S-S-A-N-A-N-E. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us a comment, leave uh, leave us a... Uh, visit the website, I should say, www.araqfootball.me for Middle East. And yeah, just get in touch, man. Share the podcast with your friends and family. And we look forward to uh, chatting to you guys very, very soon. Until then, look after yourselves, be safe, and yalla ya'raq. Yeah.